All right, we are ready to get started on <laughs> Leviticus chapter 23, chapters 23 through 25 today. Um, we've got one more um, session after this where we will cover the last two chapters and a general overview of Leviticus. Um, and just a note um, for anyone listening in real time, um, in uh, the middle of September, September 16th, we will be starting a new um, Bible study on the book of Numbers. So we're going to just kind of move right on through um, uh, the books of law and we're going to hit Numbers next. So anyone interested in that, please feel free to contact Sherry, Elizabeth, or myself and we can get you more info on that. But I just want to let everybody know that that is coming up. Um, on September 16th. So um, Leviticus chapters 23 through 25, before we jump into each chapter, I was going to ask for any um, themes, anything that stood out in particular in this section as a whole. So Sherry, I think I'll start with you. Okay, so um, the structurally, <clears throat> um, this chapters 19 through 20, I've probably mentioned this before, Chapters 19 through 26 form a symmetrical or chiastic structure. Um, and so you have uh, chapter 19 uh, and 26, or not 26, um, chapter 19 and 25 matching up. And then, and then you have uh, going on down the chiasm, um, the center of it being chapter 23, which we're going to talk about tonight, and that is the um, the, the calendar, the holiness uh, feasts in the calendar. So that forms the center of the chiasm, and then it kind of goes out from there. So, so we're at so where we are structurally then is at the top of the chiasm, uh, and then we're going to progress backwards than the other way um, and be seeing some things that that some themes that that will recall from previous chapters in in the next chapters after chapter 23 so um, that's the main thing just um, this is this is the chapter where all the feasts are mentioned and um, and I'm pretty excited about um, being able to talk about the feasts yes okay all right Elizabeth what about you so the major theme that stood out to me, especially with 23 and 25, and um, I'll ask some more questions about 24 because it kind of stuck out like a sore thumb to me mm -hmm. in the middle of the feast and the year of Jubilee, is this idea of taking time out of your week, out of your month, out of your year, out of your entire lifespan to stop and reflect on the things that God has done for you, well, specifically for the people, things God had did for them, and trusting that he was going to continue to provide for them, take care of them. It's like the idea of the Sabbath, just not working to focus to meditate on God, focus on his creation. With the yearly feasts, um, they're often associated with specific events in Israel's history that they needed to remember. Um, and then finally, with the year of Jubilee, um, remembering that the land that they're in was given to them by God, all the food that they had was given to them by God, and therefore 
you have no right to enslave your neighbor to take his property because God has given this land to you. And that stuck out to me a lot because as we see through the entire book, a lot of these laws are given because I am the Lord your God. Mm-hmm. And that is the um, reason that is given. And so he has the same reason for all the feasts, but it's connected to a specific event where he showed his power, his deliverance, his mercy, things like that, which I thought was really cool. Yeah. Um, very similar to what you're bringing out, Elizabeth, is for me, um, there's so much of this that stands out as the reminders of the importance um, that God places on uh, making the time to step back and reflect. Um, and one of those things that um, is, I guess, uh, at the forefront of my mind was um, just working on um, Genesis 1 with the kids this morning and looking at, you know, right after all this creation, all this hard work, you know, so to speak, that, you know, the way I would look at it as far as the Lord's um, creating all things. Um, and then him making a point to take that seventh day to rest. And it, to me, it, it almost reads as a, you know, enjoy the fruits of your labor and, and you know, allow that to soak in, allow time to really um, gain the benefits, I guess, of all that you have just accomplished. And I do think, um, you know, in reading through this, especially when it's talking about the Sabbath, the year of Jubilee, um, there's there's seems to be this rejoicing in, you know, not only what you have done, but primarily what God has been doing through you mm-hmm. and done for you, you know. And um, and I do think they're just kind of miniature soapbox. Um, so many times that when we get to the New Testament, people are you know, well, it's done for us, you know. Well, it has been done um, throughout the Old Testament. That never has meant God does not expect, you know, some some work on our part. But what he does say is you need to recognize nothing can be done without my blessing, you know. And, and the focus is still uh, God has done all things for us, um, even through the Old Testament. Um, and sometimes I think there's misgivings about, like, um, it being on us as the people of God to earn it, to do it ourselves, to, you know, whatever, to check the boxes, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I, I just don't see that, um, you know, especially in these chapters. Mm-hmm. It's just that repetitive, I have taken care of you, you are leaning on me. And just the the deep need for people to get that deeply, that nothing can be done without God. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, and I do think that is a lot of this Sabbath um, that God has set up is to make sure that is impressed deeply upon us. So, um, okay, so let's start in on chapter 23 then. Um, And uh, Sherry, we have got so many Passover, I mean, excuse me, so many feasts that are discussed here. And I'm going to let you start us off um, with what you gleaned from 23. And then I feel like uh, Elizabeth and I will probably... Um, have a, a couple of extra things, but I think you're going to get that the most thoroughly, so I'm going to let you start us off there. Okay, so there's a lot of stuff here, so I'm going to try to not like geek out everybody at the beginning. Sherry, uh, please don't there, hold back. That's why you're are, here. <laughs> there are seven feasts, so surprise, surprise, there's seven of a lot of things. There are seven feasts. Now, there are more feasts 
that were added in later, but the original number was seven. There were seven feasts. And um, I got some a lot of this information from a book that I that I read uh, several years ago called Messiah in the Feasts, and um, it's by a guy named Sam Nadler who's a Messianic Jew, and so that means it's basically he's a Christian that came from Judaism. So um, he wrote this book about the feasts, and it it um, demonstrated how that the feasts point towards the Messiah. All of them do. Um, there's some that are obvious, then there's others that you think, well, what is that? But, so he explains them all. Um, and he's got an intimate knowledge of what historically and what currently the Jews do in those feasts and what they're supposed to be symbolic of. So, um, the first one is Sabbath, um, Shabbat. And we know, you know, we're pretty familiar with Sabbath. Uh, it, it's it's about rest. Um, it's it's a it's a uh, it has its roots in Genesis chapter two. So right off the bat, um, it's a thing that's been going on for since the beginning. Um, that um, so so what it's supposed to remind us of is that God wants to restore us to rest to true sabbath rest and of course true rest comes through christ ultimately mm -hmm. and so the sabbath points to christ quite obviously because we're looking forward to rest that he provides um, the second one is passover um, it's called pesach and it um it and, and we're pretty familiar with that too um, it harkens back to when they escaped from Egypt, so Exodus chapter 12. Um, but um, it's, it's, it's abundantly clear that this is talking about the Christ because Jesus is our Passover lamb. Um, John chapter 1 and verse 29, John said, um, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And um, so... Um, the idea is only those who apply the Lamb's blood to the doorpost of their heart are redeemed from bondage. And that was true during the Exodus, it's true today. Um, then the next, the next um, one is, so, so Passover and first fruits are kind of, are, are kind of uh, first fruits follows right after, right on the heels of Passover. Um, <clears throat> Uh, uh, and the interesting thing that I th that I thought about first fruits, and of course we know first fruits is like the first fruits of your crops. So these would be this would be in the spring, um, um, and one of the really things that just really kind of blew my mind about uh, reading about this was that um, he said that Passover had begun when Jesus died. Of course we know that. On the third day, early that Sunday morning, the priests were at the temple offering up the first fruits of the harvest mm -hmm. at the very time that our Messiah and high priest was raised from the dead, offering up himself as our atonement. In so doing, he became the first fruits of the rest of the harvest of believers. And, and um, that's referenced in 1 Corinthians 15. Um, in fact, I would like to go to that. Mm -hmm. 
because um, a lot of these a lot of these um, references um, I thought well maybe this is just sort of a sometimes you know you, you, you get a scripture reference in a book and you're like okay well that kind of is maybe talking about that but maybe not um, uh, but this is pretty clear um, starting in chapter 1st Corinthians 15 starting verse 20 uh, it said it says but in fact Christ has been raised from the dead the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep for as as for as by a man came death by a man has also come the resurrection of the dead and he's talking about the difference between Adam and Christ but um, there he actually references Jesus as the first fruits um, uh, then it says in verse 23 each in his own order Christ the first fruits then at his coming those who belong to Christ then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power so um, clearly that's Jesus is the first fruits mm-hmm. um, so that's what that is about then you have the feast of weeks which we call Pentecost it's called Shavuot uh, in the Jewish uh, in the Hebrew language and it's seven weeks after um, the first fruits okay so um, also um, so seven weeks after leaving Egypt in Exodus chapter 19 when they received the Torah so they, mm-hmm. seven weeks after they uh, <clears throat> after they but seven weeks after they left Egypt they received the Torah it is considered the spiritual birthday of Israel uh, by the Jews since the Torah brought 12 tribes together in one corporate people that's when the nation was established when they got the law Um, from Acts 2 we can also call it the spiritual birthday of the church um, since the Holy Spirit brought all believers together into one corporate people okay Um, there is a lot of similar language between Pentecost in Acts 2 and Mount Sinai events in Exodus 19. There's a lot of smoke and fire and you know things shaking and and um, uh, it's a lot of similar language. In contrast to the giving of the law, however, when they got the law, what happened when Moses came down from the law? What was going on? They were involved in the golden calf worship. Mm-hmm. And 3,000 people died. (laughs) At the giving of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost, 3,000 people were saved. So I think that's really significant. Mm -hmm. That's goosebumps. Mm -hmm. So um, uh, then we have the then you have the Feast of Trumpets called Rosh Hashanah. Um, It's also called the Feast of the Gathering. Um, And so the trumpets. They used the trumpets for a lot of different things, but they used the trumpets to call people together. So it was, it was to gather them together. Um, and it looks forward to 1 Corinthians 15, verses 51 and 52, which I'll read. It says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. So 
And also, if you look at the, uh, 1 Thessalonians, chapter 4, verses 16 through 18, um, same thing. Um, uh, let's look at that. Can you give me that chapter and verse again. 1 Thessalonians, chapter 4, mm-hmm. um, verses 16 through 18. Um, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven and with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so will we always be with the Lord. Um, so, So the Feast of Trumpets looks forward to the time when we will all be back together. Um, then you have um, the Day of Atonement. Uh, the Day of Atonement, that was the really solemn feast. That was the most solemn of all. The, it was called the High Holy Day. It's also called Yom Kippur. Mm-hmm. Um, it was also called the Fast. They would they would fast. Um, um, so there's a lot of talk uh, in this section about blood sacrifices atoning for sins. And so that's a pretty obvious reference to Christ being our atonement, the, the, the sacrifice, the blood of Christ being sacrificed for our sins. And um, I think that the, the Day of Atonement more closely aligns than anything with our observance of the Lord's Supper. Um, you have personal reflection and you have um, thinking about the blood sacrifice of Christ. Um, then you had the Feast of Booths, which was a very festive uh, day. It's also called the Feast of Tabernacles. A booth is a tabernacle. Um, it's also called Sukkot, and it is also called the Feast of Ingathering. It was a harvest festival, so it was at the end of the at the end. It wasn't in the spring; it was in the fall, um, and it was five days after the Day of Atonement. So after they've been fasting and thinking about their sins and had being atoned for their sins, then they would have this great festival um, called the Feast of Booths. Uh, it's the culmination of all the feasts. Um, it reminded them of their sojourn in the wilderness because they, they were in tents when they were wandering in the wilderness, and that's supposed to harken back to that. Um, it also looks forward to the ingathering when the kingdom will come. Um, uh, and Understanding so uh, in a lot of ways, understanding a lot of these feasts. But um, what what I thought of when I uh, thought of the um, feast of booths is that when the transfiguration happened, um, and so 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 going going back, the the, the feast of ingathering or the feast of booths was supposed to be the culmination feast and it was supposed to be um, a time when they would gather together. That's what it's called the ingathering. Everybody and it looked forward to when the kingdom is all gathered together. And so when Peter saw Elijah and Moses and Jesus on the mountain, what did he say? He really? said, Let us let us build three booths. Right. One for each of you. Mm-hmm. Why would he say that? Mm-hmm. Well, because he thought, well, okay, this is it. This is the ingathering. Yeah. The kingdom is coming back right. together. Everybody, so let's build. A, so that's 
uh, you know, when, when, I, when I looked at that in the past, I thought, well, why, why would he say that? Why would he want to build right. a booth for each one of them? Like, is that like a throne for each one? No. Mm -hmm. It's it's going back. He's thinking about the, the in-gathering. The, the, when the kingdom comes back together, we're going to have a big feast, and everybody's, we're going to all build booths. Mm -hmm. And um, so, um, so, so that, and then that was the culmination of the feast. And uh, in this chapter, when we, when we look at all of them, all of these uh, different feasts, um, uh, there's there's a there's a, there's a heavier description for, for some of them, and not as heavy a description for other ones. The Feast of Trumpets is a little uh, buzzy mm -hmm. uh, because it's not mentioned a whole lot, um, but um, but um, the Feast of Booths um, seems to have it gets a lot of real estate mm -hmm. um, in this chapter. So. It was a pretty important feast, and um, and we I think we read a lot more about the feast of booths than we do about some of the other feasts uh, in the rest of the in the rest of the Bible. So anyway, that's my summation. But I mean, and you say that, and that is true. I do think in conversations, and at least in my experience in Bible studies and and that sort of thing, Passover, Pentecost, Atonement. I don't I don't hear a ton about the Feast of Booths and the connections made, but you're right. It is it does get a lot of real estate. I just don't hear a lot of conversation right. about, you know, connections and mm -hmm. um and things of that nature like you're pointing, you know, the um the Mount of Transfiguration, you know, things like that that um I'm very appreciative of you bringing that out because I've that is something that sticks out in my mind. What does that mean? And it's not in in the Feast of Booths, but in uh, the Day of Atonement. Mm -hmm. One of one of the things that I was not certain what this meant, and maybe it, either you or Elizabeth can help me with this. But um, when it talks about, I mean, you you addressed it is the most sober, mm -hmm. um, and that's part of my question is it shall be verse thirty two says it shall be to you a Sabbath of solemn rest, and you shall afflict yourselves. And it says a couple of times, you know you make sure that you're afflicted. Whoever is not afflicted mm -hmm. um, will be cut off from his people, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And I, is that in reference to like the fasting, the, you know, uh, emptying of oneself, that sort of thing is, I'm, I'm wondering what that reference is to mm -hmm. afflicting. Mm -hmm. um, so what is y'all's understanding? I think it's, I think it's a reference to them afflicting themselves by not um, eating, um, uh, by fasting and by not um, sort of giving themselves a whole lot of attention physically with what they look like or what they um, or or what they're eating or or their comforts, you know, mm -hmm. creature comforts uh, that that they it's a time when they're supposed to be not thinking of themselves at all. Yeah. Okay. Is that your understanding yeah, as well? I would agree with that because um, if it doesn't render afflict yourselves that usually translates to humble yourselves mm -hmm. um, and mm -hmm. my mind just kind of jumps to like sackcloth and ashes mm -hmm. where when you're deeply distressed you are putting yourself in the lowest position you mm -hmm. possibly can which I think definitely would include fasting mm -hmm. and yeah. I hadn't thought about it in the not thinking about your physical appearance but that makes a lot of sense as well mm -hmm. it just uh, there's a lot of thoughts of course going through my mind and I won't um, you know rabbit trail or anything like that but it just there's so many things in this chapter in particular um, that jump out to me of you know 
the depth of some of those verses that you were bringing out in the New Testament and how much uh, more we gain when having the understanding of the foundation that it lies upon, Mm -hmm. that then we have the richness of what is fulfilled in Christ, not just, um, you know, I'm just thinking in terms of, you know, we come and we observe the Lord's Mm -hmm. Supper, and so often it is an easy thing for Mm -hmm. it to be not as weighty um, as it was intended to be. Mm -hmm. Um, And, of course, that's on us, but I do think these kind of studies help so much Put a better and more appropriate perspective mm-hmm. on um, things like when we're gathering together for the Lord's Supper and what all mm-hmm. that really does entail as far as the depth of what that means, um, not just for us, but for who God is, for what Christ has done, and for all the people that that affects, including us. Um, so anyway, I just appreciate you bringing those things out. Mm-hmm. Um, what else did you want to bring out, Elizabeth, from chapter 23 before we hop into the next section there? Yeah, so when I was reading through it, I, had, I paid a lot of attention to what these things are specifically remembering. Because um, if we take away nothing from the Old Testament slash human experience in general. If you're not reminded of something, you're going to forget. That's why we're commanded to have to partake of the Lord's Supper every week is because you need that constant reminder else you're going to forget. You're not going to dwell on it. You're not going to, um, like you said, doesn't have the impact it's supposed to have. Mm-hmm. Um, so why I thought this was important is because it really does kind of pin down all these important things in Israel's history. So you have creation on the seventh day got rested. And then with the Passover, you have ex- the Exodus and Sherry's gone through most of these. Um, and you can see how like throughout the rest of the Old Testament, as Israel starts not celebrating these feasts, like the Passover didn't get celebrated for, you know, decades, if not longer. And the people started falling further and further away from God because they were not remembering the things that were given. So this wasn't just like, I was thinking about modern holidays, especially like with Labor Day coming up. It's just another day for people to not have to work and they'll just kind of goof off and do whatever. And that was not the point of having the day off of work. Because if you think back in ancient times, a day off of work you're not going to eat. Like, what are you going to do if you're not working? Mm -hmm. And the feasts are set up specifically to um, meditate on God, on his deliverance, to worship him, to sacrifice, and remove all of the distractions that daily work would entail. And so I think, um, like Sherry said, there's a lot of reminders of these same things for us in a new covenant context mm-hmm. which i thought was really cool but yeah that's about all i had to okay add. okay well that was uh, and I, I know we're uh putting the bulk of our emphasis um on this chapter um with you know good reason obviously um and we're going to go to these next two chapters but it is i just uh, appreciate all those things that uh sherry that you have brought out in particular because to me um this is, you know, like you were talking about, we've got um, this as the pinnacle and with good reason. And it's so, this is, to me, the, well, it is just the climax of 
why you study books like Leviticus. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just invaluable. Mm-hmm. And, um, and anything that, uh, that we can do to encourage one another to dig more deeply into it, we are just so very blessed for doing so. So thank you for bringing out those um, just vitally important riches um, in God's Word. And, and it, it just, I know it does for you too, Sherry. It amazes me. And I kind of, I, I love this at this stage of my life and I look forward, you know, at Sherry and think, wow, I'm going to love it even more, you know? (laughs) And I mean, even though, you know, we're finding such greatness and I know Sherry, you know, I I feel like will all her life, you know, be enjoying uh, finding even more riches because that's how God has set it up so wisely. So um, anyway, so thank you for that. Okay. Let's go ahead into chapter 24. Um, in the awkward chapter. <laughs> um, and I, on purpose, and I, I, I do sort of apologize for this, just a new time-wise, we won't be able to, to read through the chapters um, verbatim. But um, in chapter 24, we have got uh, just a few little sections that kind of uh, make up this chapter. I'm going to kind of run through it pretty quickly here, and then we'll pull a couple of things out. But starting off with um, God's command to the people to make sure that they bring the oil, the pure um, olive oil, in to make sure that the light, uh, excuse me, the lamp is lit in the tent of meeting, um, and then that uh, the 12 loaves are prepared um, for, and I believe this is for the um, priests, right, for their consumption, um, for them to eat in the holy place. Um, And that, that, I, I love the phrasing here, um, the every Sabbath um, they shall arrange it regularly, and um, and this is kind of a tangent thing, but uh, in my mind I do hearken to um, every Sunday. To me, there is some, something special about um, bread being prepared. You know, unleavened bread being prepared. I know we don't you know do that right now, but I'm personally getting in more in that habit just because I think there is something helpful for regularly preparing um and so even if it is just a flat loaf of bread Mm -hmm. um sorry i know that's Mm -hmm. tangent but um the next section um is i think a little more to me where it goes even more tangent because we've got um at least like with the feast and this preparation um you know i feel like i'm tracking you know as far as the uh, line of thought and then um, we hit verse 10, and it's a little shocking to me. Now, an Israelite's woman's son, whose father was an Egyptian, went out among the people, and it talks about how he blasphemed. And <laughs> anyway, so it seems like a, a kind of a jolt um, in, in subject matter. But he goes out, and he blasphemes, is put to death um, by the people who witnessed. So again, that theme of if you see something done outside of God's laws, it is you are responsible for bringing that um, judgment in and, and making sure that uh, that person is answers for transgression. So mm-hmm. um, so those witnesses come and uh, are commended to stone the person who has blasphemed and cursed God. Um, verse and then the next sec- the last section here is um, going through sort of the justice of you know if you kill a person, you will be killed if you kill an animal you will give life you know you will make that right by giving uh, an animal in its place um and then uh, it's so interesting the ending of this 
chapter to me. Uh, Thus the people of Israel did as the Lord commanded Moses. And it kind of, it makes me think of, you know, when Joshua comes in and, oh, they obeyed Joshua just like they did Moses. And my first thought is they've obeyed Moses, you know. <laughs> but, I mean, they're, they did, you know. They're, they're, and that's good for me to be reminded because I think so... I'm always so sad for Moses because I think of those murmuring, complaining people. But um, there is, uh, there are places here that remind us they did. There were times where they did actually do what Moses commanded them to from God. So, um, okay, Elizabeth, you want to go ahead with either your questions or comments, and then we'll um, do Sherry after that. What have you got for twenty-four? Yeah, I'll start with comments and then transition okay. on to questions. Sure. So the concept of the lamp always being lit I thought was really really interesting because when you see symbolism of you know God being with his people you know you have the pillar of fire you have this lamp and it's kind of symbolic or I took it to be a symbol of God's continual presence with them so Mm -hmm. looking forward again into the later part of Israel's history that's one of the things that gets neglected like I'm studying through uh, Samuel with uh, some friends and the it makes a point to say the lamp of the Lord was still burning mm-hmm. which I thought was really interesting that the author chose to include that but having read this that makes a little bit more sense where you know if this lamp is burning if the people are bringing the offerings of oil to keep it running then there is at least some level of devotion to God from the people which I thought was just kind of poignant in how that works Mm -hmm. um I had oh oh, yeah yeah and then jumping down to the part um because the verses 17 through 22 seems a little jarring within this jarring section because it's like okay narrative narrative blasphemy what are we going to do with them okay, this is what we do. And you think it would go straight to 23 where they, you know, stone Mm -hmm. the boy, but there's a little interjection of justice Mm -hmm. and something that actually Alexander brought out in one of his classes is the difference between taking personal vengeance Mm -hmm. and the nation executing justice upon wrongdoing. So I know we've talked a ton about in previous lessons or, sorry, chapters of this, of Leviticus, where if Israel is to be holy, you have to purge the evil from among yourself. So if you've got murderers out here, you need to purge that from your camp. If you have um, people just going out here breaking people's arms, Mm -hmm. there has to be restitution for that. And it always says, um, you know, he shall be put to death, um they shall make it good and this is the rule for the sojourner and the native so this isn't you know this guy knocked my tooth out so i'm going to go over there and knock his tooth out no it's where you're going to moses or the eldest and you're like Mm -hmm. hey this guy knocked my tooth out Mm -hmm. and then through the law they say okay we gotta take this guy's tooth Mm -hmm. um so i think it's really important and especially that kind of fends off a lot of um criticisms of the old law or criticisms of Christianity in general where it's like hey you said you know eye for an eye that seems really Mm -hmm. um spiteful vengeful 
And the whole point is, no, that's not what you're supposed to be doing. God, Mm -hmm. the community, is exacting justice um, instead of individuals. Mm -hmm. Um, I guess the last thing that's not super important, but just indicating that this is not just for the Israelites, but the people that are living among them, because this was the son of an Israelite woman and an Egyptian. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of questionable whether he was considered an Israelite or an outsider, but it doesn't matter. You can't be murdering you can't be breaking people's arms you can't be doing stuff like that yeah all right sherry was there anything uh in addition to that that you wanted to bring out before we go to chapter 25 um just um one or two things the 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 significance of the lamps um i think is um uh, the lamps being not going out um like uh uh, not to reiterate that Elizabeth, Elizabeth was saying, but you know, Jesus being the light of the world, and mm-hmm. and us having lights, and, and not letting the light go out, is um, pretty significant throughout the entire Bible, starting in Genesis chapter mm-hmm. one, where God created the light. Um, um, since we've been talking about the feasts. Um, um, one of the feasts that hasn't that didn't get established until after the Old Testament age and uh, during the intertestamental period is Hanukkah, and it is the festival of lights, and uh, it's commemorating when the light came back on in the temple because mm-hmm. during uh, when when uh, the Jews were uh, being oppressed um, during the Maccabean period, the lights. In the temple went out, and so the the celebration of Hanukkah is about the lights going back on in the temple and how the, now the light the lights going to stay on in the temple and, and so um, so I think that's um, I think that's really significant with the, that the lamps and, and, and you know even in in the book of Revelation you know um, Jesus is there churches. among the lamps and mm-hmm. they they have a lampstand each one of the churches has a lampstand and it would be really bad if your lampstand got put out and moved mm-hmm. um, and so um, uh, the lampstand is symbolic of your shining your light in the world and so the light isn't supposed to go out um, uh, this incident I think is just kind of um well a um it was a, it, it, they uh, this happened a few times when there was like a special circumstance where it's like okay well this and i think this is why it mentions it this so he's not is he really an israelite mm-hmm. do we apply the law equally to this person who's not really an israelite so you know like mm-hmm. and so Instead of just going, eh, whatever, they actually took him into custody, and they were like, "This is something we need to go to Moses with because I don't, I don't know how mm-hmm. to treat this." And so then the law comes down from God saying, "No, you treat the sojourner just like you treat the, mm-hmm. the Israelite." And so, you know, he's only half Egyptian, but the, even that half, you know, is mm-hmm. you know, even if it was full Egyptian, if he's a person living among you, he wow. blasphemes God. Same thing. Yeah. And um, the fact that also that um, um, this is borne out through a lot of the other punishments, the people who are accusing him are the first ones 
to throw the stones. Mm -hmm. And um, it's, it specifically says in here that um, when they did bring him before um, to be stoned, that the sojourners that were there were to participate in that as well. Mm -hmm. so, um, um, so I think that's significant. And also that um, the fact that he mentions this is, is part of the, it's part of the chiasm in that, um, so in that, in the, in the ascending part of the chiasm, we talked about serious violations of moral holiness um, requiring death. And now we have um, a serious violation of moral holiness requiring death. So it, this, is, this is a different way of, of approaching it because this is an actual incident of something happening, but it's part of the chiastic structure um, about violations of moral holiness which require death. Um, the other ones that we had in the previous um, section were about cursing your parents, committing adultery, committing incest, um, uh, and they were also to be applied, specifically mentioned to be applied to Israelites or aliens within, the, within their number. And so here again we have somebody who's an Israelite and an alien, and so same thing applies. <clears throat> so. Those are the takeaways that I had from that chapter. Those chiasms. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're everywhere. They are. All right. Okay. Um, so chapter 25 um, is the last chapter we're going to cover. And Elizabeth, I'll let you get us started um, there. And uh, Sherry and I will add on as needed. But go right ahead with your thorough job over All there. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I like this chapter probably the most out of this section. Um, so it starts off talking about the Sabbath year. And so you have the Sabbath day where you're not supposed to do your work. And it's the exact same concept except applied to a whole year. Like you still have to do the normal household work of cooking and cleaning and it just existing. But this is specifically for letting the land lie fallow. Mm -hmm. And I thought this was really cool from just a, um, I'm going to say horticultural perspective. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's correct, but from what I know about growing crops that depletes the nutrients in the soil. Mm -hmm. So you kind of have to let the land rest, restore its nutrients. Um, so in the long run that you're not just going to run the place infertile. Mm -hmm. So practically it makes a lot of sense which is what I love a lot about the old law is, you know, there's some customs that's like, okay, I am God, you have to do this. But there are other things like, hey, don't sleep with your sister. Let the land lie fallow. <laughs> that make a lot of sense from a practical standpoint. Um, and you may be asking yourself, what do we do when we're not planting crops? And they don't explain it until later down. It's kind of like you start talking about the year of Jubilee before you finish talking about the Sabbath year. Um, which is what confused me because as I was reading this, I was like, wait, what, what are they eating? <laughs> but the fact that God tells them that if you uh, keep my statutes, keep my rules and perform them, then the land on the sixth year, so before the Sabbath year, would produce triple, a number three years. So you're covered for not only the Sabbath year, but you're eating 
pre-Sabbath year stuff until the ninth year, which I think is really cool. Um, Especially seeing how, number one, that is dependent on them trusting in God by keeping these commandments. Because by the time the sixth year rolls around, you've kind of planned whether you're going to plant on the seventh year or not. And so if, you know, you're planning to plant on the year that you're not supposed to, then I'm assuming that kind of threefold crops from the sixth year probably won't come to pass because you're not honoring God's statutes. That's kind of what tracked in my mind. Um, So I think this is significant because you're, you know, on the normal Sabbath day, you're trusting God to provide for you for just that day. And this is almost like a next level test of trust Mm -hmm. is that you trust God to provide for this whole year Mm -hmm. while the land is kind of restoring itself, Mm -hmm. which I thought was really cool. Mm -hmm. And then there's a lot of stuff involved in the year Jubilee, but that is every 50th year. And so this is supposed to be a time of great rejoicing. And it says specifically that you're going to proclaim liberty throughout the land to all of its inhabitants. And so this is the time where if you sold your property and you moved somewhere else, you're returning to the land of your family. So like when they cross into the promised land, every tribe gets a little parcel. And within that, you know, every family kind of gets a little spot where they're supposed to live. So if you sold your property to your brother, say you needed some money, then that would return back to you. Um, If you rented out... um, If you're buying or selling land, there's specific emphasis on dealing fairly with people. Mm -hmm. Um, And the dealing fairly with people also shows up when it's talking about the redemption of property and how you're going to treat people in this year um, that, you know, fall upon hard times, people that can't support themselves. So you have the redemption of property, which is this concept of If you sold your land to someone, you could come and buy it back or your kinsman could come and buy it back because this is something that God has given you to be in your family. Mm -hmm. And it specifically says in verse 23, God speaking says, the land is mine. Mm -hmm. So kind of this reminder of no matter what property you're buying or selling, all of this comes to you from God. And so it's kind of a reminder of Uh, God's sovereignty, his grace, his goodness to give you this in the first place. So if God has given this to you, you don't need to be kind of, I'm going to say gatekeeping it from your Mm -hmm. brother. Like you're not going to prevent someone else from having it because it's not really yours in the first place. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to leave the redemption part um, for later. I'll let one of Mm y'all talk about because there's so many more connections you could go with that. Um, there are some specific rules about what can and cannot be redeemed. Like if you have a house in a walled city, that can't be redeemed. Because that's not like really property. It's almost like you're renting an apartment mm-hmm. is kind of how I understood mm-hmm. it. And then the last little part about the year of Jubilee is uh, freeing slaves. Mm-hmm. So the Israelites were not allowed to enslave other Israelites. Um, but if you had someone working as almost like an indentured servant, the year of Jubilee is when they would be released. Mm-hmm. And then the idea of if someone, if one of your brother or your kinsmen comes to you and he can't support himself, 
you're obligated to take him in as a sojourner um, and not kind of extort him for money or anything like that. And it wasn't super clear if this was specific to the year of Jubilee or not, but if we just kind of extrapolate from what we know about God and what he expects of his people, I kind of lean towards the side of like, you should be doing this all the time, Mm -hmm. especially in the year of Jubilee if you're not going to do it Mm -hmm. other times. Um, I guess the last little key to it is if a an Israelite is enslaved to someone else, they can also be redeemed by their family. And then there are certain rules about the proximity to, like either before or after the year of Jubilee, if that person is redeemed. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there's a lot of uh, connections for us, but I will stop there and let someone else explain it. <laughs> um, well, okay, so uh, true transparency here. There is about 10 minutes left before we have to wrap up, and there is not time to go through all the things. Mm-hmm. But um, as just a side tangent, and then I'm going to let Sherry finish mm-hmm. this up here because uh, I think she'll uh, be able to wrap it up well um, and decide what's priority and what to hit. Um, when you were talking about the, um, idea of supporting your fellow brethren, um, especially those who are poor and, or, uh, dependent, that sort of thing. Um, the thing that has struck me in reading that this time is, uh, our, um, our call to do that one in our physical families through the new Testament, um, and all, but also and more, um, I guess, pressingly, is our call to do that uh, among our Christian family. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I just, that is something that I feel like is something pressing that we've got to do a better job of um, in general, mm-hmm. um, of one, uh, understanding that it is our responsibility to take care of our physical family like we ought, like God has taught us from, you know, Old Testament times through New Testament times, but also the step further of, our spiritual family and supporting one another physically, emotionally, mentally. And I I do think all of that is encompassed when God is going through these laws of you take care of them. Um, And I think that is something worth stating. And I know this is just something that's present on my mind right now with my own grandmother and our family, you know, working together to make sure she is well taken care of. Um, but beyond that, the spiritual implications of making sure we're doing that in our local bodies, um, in our families mm-hmm. here. So Sherry has got the um, weight on her shoulders wow. of wrapping this up. Um, so go ahead, <laughs> Sherry, I'll let you finish up. Okay. This is a great chapter, too. I, I, I think um, this is one of my favorite chapters because, um, so redemption, I mean, as Christians, we know about redemption and we know what it means. And... Um, uh, redemption, of course, is buying back. Um, the The whole idea of um, the idea of uh, I think the idea of redemption and the Sabbath are kind of wrapped in together because um, uh, because it happens during Sabbath years and it happens during the Jubilee, which is the Sabbath of Sabbaths, because when whenever you have a whenever you have a um, um, 
in the numerical system, you know, the seven, seven is the, is the complete number. Um, so you have seven days, something after seven days, then you have um, seven years, and then you have seven times seven years. And in the numerical system, whenever something is multiplied by itself, it's um, exponentially increased. And so a lot of time, like the, um, like the reference to the 144,000, um, it is not saying there's actually 144,000. It's saying 12 times 12 times 100,000. Um, uh, so, uh, or times 1,000, excuse me. So 144,000 is like, it, it's multiplying the numbers by, by themselves and that, it, that's like a power uh, move. So instead of saying something to the 10th power, they would say, you know, well, it's 70 times seven or seven times seven. So, um, so the, 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 the idea of the Jubilee um, um, is ultra looking forward to the end when everything, when there will be a Sabbath rest, there'll be the ultimate Sabbath rest. And so when something is, when things are redeemed, it's basically take every, taking everything back to square one. So in the, all of the, in the Jubilee, at the end of time, um, then everything's gonna go back to like it was in the garden. So um, the, the same way that in the Jubilee year, everything goes back to the original owners. Everything's made right again. Um, during, that, during that 49 years, they're all, buying and selling, some people are getting, or accumulating more property, accumulating more wealth, because that's what happens. Um, that's just a fact of nature that whatever you have, you'll end up getting more, and what you don't have, you'll end up even having that taken away. Mm -hmm. uh, because that's just the way the world works. Mm -hmm. um, uh, planets that have more gravity get more, get more gravity, because they have it all already. And wealthy people end up with all the wealth, and poor people end up with nothing because that's just the way it works. Um, but in the year of Jubilee, everything goes back to square one. Mm -hmm. There's no more slavery. Every all debts are forgiven, and everybody's back to having the same. The same. And so that's the same um, concept as in the at the end of time in the ultimate Jubilee. Everything will go back to like it was at the beginning in Eden, where everything was fair, everything was, everybody was was treated equally, and um, and God basically buys everyone back. Mm -hmm. um, and so, um, so I real I don't think that I don't know that I we don't have any recordings of them ever even celebrating this year mm. jubilee. There's no mention in the Old or New Testament of, oh, during the year of Jubilee, this is this happened. So whether they actually did or not um, <laughs> is up for grabs. You know, and we know that a lot of the times um, uh, the better kings would would uh, celebrate the Passover, and it'd be like, oh, this is the first time they celebrated the Passover since you know Joshua or whatever, mm -hmm. and so. Um, 
I doubt that if they weren't celebrating the Passover, I doubt that they were probably not that they were probably celebrating the Jubilee either. Mm-hmm. Um, um, so um, um, just the the whole idea of rest um, is just um, in this in this chapter and the previous chapters is just gone over again and again and again. The land is going to rest. I'm going to rest. You're going to rest. Everyone needs rest. And um, uh, and it's not just rest. It's more of like a reset. Mm-hmm. Everything gets reset. And this, the year of Jubilee is like the ultimate reset. Everything goes back. Everybody goes back to their property. Um, whatever if whatever happened that you got your property taken away, you get it back. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so I really like that idea. And I and uh, I think that. Um, I think the whole idea of redemption is just uh, a beautiful picture of God, you know, redeeming us, um, buying us back, and you know that happened through Christ. So, um, so. And I appreciate you bringing that out uh, several times tonight, and I just that reminder that ultimate rest is not. You know, are putting our heads on our pillows and just taking it easy, but it is the reset, right. and it is the peace that passes understanding that only comes through Christ, mm-hmm. um, and God trying so desperately to help us understand that if we would be willing to do what He actually says for our own good, and take Him up on the rest um, that He so richly blesses us with if we will just take what he offers all right thank y'all so much i really enjoyed these chapters and look forward to finishing up next time